How many of you have ever wondered about the dinosaurs? How many could care less about the dinosaurs and you wonder why you're here tonight? All right. We're, we're teaching uh, Genesis because I want you to be very secure in the Word of God being the Word of God. It's not a myth. It's not a fable. It's the Word of God. And I want you to know that. I want you to understand it. I want us all to be able to answer the skeptics that are in our day. My secretary said to me today, or one of the ladies that helps us with this, she said, in, in searching for graphics, I've been amazed as I've looked for dinosaur graphics and so on and so forth at how much you run across on the internet that is hostile towards the whole idea of God creating the world. And I said, that's exactly right. It goes way deeper than just believing in evolution and therefore you can't believe this. Because if I disagree with you, I don't have to be mad at you. Genesis 1 goes at the core of God creating the world and the core of faith and the core of our battle with the enemy of our soul. So let's look at it and then we're going to pray. Uh, let's just go ahead and pray right now and then look at the dinosaurs tonight. Father, we just thank you that the, your word is truth. And Lord, we thank you that we can read it with confidence. And I pray that not only our folks here tonight, but everyone listening by radio will have their faith. Just another, just another uh, peg nailed in the tent of their faith. That, Lord, we will know that to believe the Bible is not ignorance, it's not stupidity, but it is wise and it makes sense. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. And let's look at this tonight. Uh, and if you got your notes, all that I'm going over here is in your notes, and I would encourage you to get those notes. And um, by the way, also, Sunday... We're going to be continuing talking about revival. Anybody in here want to see a move of God? Anybody? All right. Sunday, I'm going to talk about the awesome impact of a genuine move of God. The awesome impact of a genuine move of God. It never stays within four walls. And so don't miss it Sunday. Bring somebody that might uh, need to hear this. Now, many Christians are confused about dinosaurs. If we based our thinking upon the Word of God rather than the fallible evolutionary ideas of men, such as seen in the films Jurassic Park, I waited in a long line to see that one, and The Lost World, we would easily be able to see how they fit into the Bible, the dinosaurs. Now, Exodus 20, verse 11 tells us that in six days God made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is. He made them all, which therefore must have included all now extinct creatures such as dinosaurs. They didn't evolve from some primeval sea. They were created. I don't know about you, when I was a kid, I was a dinosaur kid. I had models of brontosaurus, triceratops, allosaurus, T-Rex. I had them all, stegosaurus, had them all. I was fascinated with them. And, of course, I was raised on evolution. They, they evolved, and, you know, they were 65 million years ago and all of this. And this is another thing that I had to deal with as I became a believer and began to read the Bible. As I read the Bible, I saw a very different story from what we were taught in school. And I had to find answers. Any of you ever come up against something like the dinosaur issue or the evolution issue 
And you had to really pray it through and ask God for some answers. Anybody? The rest of you just didn't care. All right, well, now. Since God created the dinosaurs, because he created everything that is, uh, on which day were they created? When, did, when were they created in the six days? Well, land dinosaurs, like all other land animals, were made on the sixth day of creation. That's exactly what the Bible says. And when was that? Adam was also made on the sixth day. And we have a list of his descendants from then on. So it was thousands of years ago, not millions. In any case, dinosaur fossils which show evidence of death, they show evidence of bloodshed, they show evidence of disease, could not have been, uh, been formed millions of years ago. Why not? Because that would place them before the sin of Adam, thus putting the effects of the curse before the fall. Because there was no death, there, were, there was no disease before the fall. Okay? Now, thinking from a biblical foundation, and that's the foundation we want, all right? It's easier to make the connection between dinosaurs and dragon legends if people and dinosaurs once knew each other. Now, I believe that people, and we're going to see this in the Word of God in just a minute. See, uh, dragon legends weren't just made up in somebody's mind. They were passed down through cultures. Where did the people in these different uh, ancient cultures, where do they come up with these, these dragon, fire-breathing dragon legends? Where, where did this kind of thing come from? Just an active imagination? No, we would expect that there would be leftover memories of when people knew of some of the more impressive dinosaurs. The many dragon tales from cultures across the world testify to a time when people lived with huge, fierce, reptilian creatures. Now, before you choke on that, I'm going to show you a little bit later on in the teaching some very dinosaur-like creatures that are still with us today, and we still live with them. Let's just remember, dinosaur is great lizard, and we've still got some of those around. Now, some with horns and armor-plated scales, and some which flew. Is that not cool right there, that picture? I would have liked to have had that one as a model when I was a kid. Now, but... People wrote about this kind of thing. It, it was in ancient cultures, the writings of ancient culture. Where did they get it? Where did they get this kind of idea? Such cultural memories of dinosaur-like creatures do not fit the evolutionary idea that the last dinosaur died out 65 million years before the first human appeared. I don't believe that. All right, let's go on. But they do fit, they do fit with the Bible's account of history. Remember we've told you earlier on in this series that when Moses wrote by the Holy Spirit, moved on by the Holy Spirit, when he wrote the book of Genesis, he did not intend for it to be interpreted as fable, as myth, as legend, as poetic license, as a metaphor, none of that. He meant Genesis to be a historical account by the revelation of God of the beginning of this universe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That's fact, Jack. Amen? Now, that's the way he taught it. Now, evolutionists have to claim 
that the similarities of dragons to dinosaurs are a mysterious coincidence. These people just kind of came up with that. Since they believe that no man ever saw a dinosaur. Evolutionists do not believe that. Because the Bible gives us the true account of earth history, it is no surprise to find that there is a distinct lack of evidence in the fossil record showing how dinosaurs evolved from non-dinosaurs or one type from another. We shared with you last time that God created everything he did to reproduce what? Say it with me. According or after its kind. So evolutionists believe that dinosaurs evolved over millions of years of time. Remember, evolutionists put their faith in time and chance. They believe give it enough time and give it enough roll of the die and you're going to get these things that they say evolved. Life, human life, animal life, bird life, fish life, marine life. That's what they believe. I have really started to realize that evolution actually is a religion. It's a religion. You've got to put your faith in something you cannot see. And a good hardcore evolutionist, I've started to see, just in getting ready for this, a good hardcore evolutionist will step into blind faith and say, I believe it just because I do. I don't care if there's no transitional forms evolving over time where we can find all the mistakes before the survivable species arrived and stayed in other words we can't find the transitional fossils the missing link has never been found evolution has never been proven and yet a good evolution will tell you well i believe it anyway i believe it anyway well why do you believe because i believe in time and chance well why do you believe that well i just do it's my choice you know what that is that's religion it is a religion and that's why they will crucify creationists in the name of their religion. Now, it now also becomes clear why we find dragons mentioned frequently in the Bible. As you know, they're in the Bible. I'm going to show you tonight. And the Bible's description of behemoth falls into place as the largest plant-eating dinosaur. Remember that name, behemoth. We're going to see it in just a minute. The implication that dinosaurs must therefore have survived the flood, some of them did, is consistent with God's command for at least two of all kinds of land-dwelling creatures. I can tell that this is coming up against a lot of what you have been taught, and you're going, I'm glad I'm not Pastor Jeff up there having to teach this. You know what? This is so easy to teach, and it's such a joy to teach, because for me, I cannot embrace evolution. Take God out of the picture. Give it just common sense. Give it common sense. And, and just the process of elimination, just give it some, think it through, and you can't arrive at it ever having happened that way. So it's, it's not hard to teach at all. Now, those two of every kind went on Noah's Ark, presumably juvenile forms, we would hope so with Brontosaurus, 90, 90 foot lizard. The juvenile or the, the, the uh, young forms in the case of the few, very few large dinosaurs. Now, let's look at monsters in the Bible. Are monsters in the Bible? Everybody say with me, the behemoth. Now, the behemoth, the first monster mentioned in the Bible, 
is the behemoth. And that's supposed to be capitalized, but it's not, but it's, an, it's a proper noun. Now, Job describes him as a large, grass-eating beast with great strength in his loins and belly. Now, just so you'll know, Job is probably the oldest book in the Bible. Now, you take Job, writing the oldest book in the Bible, a really very ancient individual, way back uh, in time. Job describes a large, grass-eating beast. Now, listen carefully how he describes him. With great strength in his loins and belly, he has a tail described as being what, everybody? Read it with me. Like a cedar. And his bones are like bars of iron, quoting Job. The passages also reveal him to be a swamp dweller. Look at Job 40, 15 to 24. Let's just read it. This is out of the uh, Message Bible, I believe. So look at how, the way he describes what he himself had seen. He says, look at the land beast, behemoth. I created him, says God. Now, this is God talking to the first person. I created him as well as you. He's talking to Job. God is. He says, grazing on grass, docile as a cow. Just look, says God, at the strength of his back, the powerful muscles of his belly. His tail sways like a cedar in the wind. His huge legs are like beech trees. That's huge. His skeleton is made of steel, every bone in his body hard as steel. Most magnificent of all my creatures, but I still lead him around like a lamb. The grass-covered hills serve him meals, so he's, he's a, a grass eater. He's not carnivorous. While field mice frolic in his shadow. So a little field mouse down there has nothing to worry about from this creature that God is describing to Job because he's a grass eater, omnivorous. He's not a carnivore. Now, he takes afternoon naps under shade trees, cools himself in the reedy swamps, lazily cool in the leafy shadows as the breeze moves, a breeze moves through the willows. Now he goes on. And when the river rages, he doesn't budge. You know why? He doesn't need to. You know why? He's so big, the raging river doesn't bother him. Stolid and unperturbed even when the Jordan goes wild. Now, what he's talking about there is when the Jordan uh, floods, you've got uh, lions out there, you've got lots of ferocious carnivorous beasts that, that, that walk around in the swamp area, in the flooded area of the Jordan. And when the Jordan floods, it's an awesome thing. And in Old Testament days, they knew to totally avoid that area when it was flood time. But look, he's saying this creature doesn't worry at all about the flooding of the Jordan. This whole passage in Job 40 concerning behemoth certainly suggests a large animal and no known living animal fits this passage adequately. Really? Is that true? One non-creationist biologist, Dr. Roy Mackle, wrote these words, quote, Biblical scholars, both Hebrew and Christian, have never come up with a satisfactory explanation for the meaning of these passages. He goes on to say, quote, most commentators attempt to identify the behemoth with the ox or the elephant or the hippo, but there's a real problem with that, or the crocodile 
But more correctly, some Hebrew scholars have considered the creature to be a monstrous and unidentifiable animal. And that's exactly what it is. Monstrous and unidentifiable. However, the description does fit many of the large herbivorous, everybody say herbivorous with me, plant-eating dinosaur. One type of which certainly was the largest of the created land animals. Such a dinosaur was therefore alive at the time the book of Job was written. Because God said to Job, look at it. You've seen it. He was talking to Job about something he knew about. And said, have you considered him? Okay? The most natural interpretation of the key verse, Job 40, uh, verse 17, is that the tail of behemoth, the tail, is compared to a cedar for its great size, and there is nothing in the context which contradicts this possibility. Now, consequently, the most reasonable interpretation is the behemoth was a large animal, now extinct, which had a large tail. What would that be, everybody? Brontosaurus. Or something like that because of the tail. Thus, some type of extinct dinosaur should still be considered a perfectly reasonable possibility according to our present knowledge. Dinosaur. There he is. For those of you listening to my radio, we're looking at it. It's a brontosaurus or something like a brontosaurus. Look at that tail. It's like a cedar. There's not an animal around today that has a tail like a cedar. The hippo sure doesn't. It's that little curlicue thing. It, 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 and there, it, all the things that these other commentators have surmised that it might be, it can't be because of the way it's described. A tail like a cedar, but there it is. So everybody say, dinosaurs survive the ark, at least for a season. Well, then what happened to him, Pastor Jeff? We're going to get to that, so hang on. Now, there's another monster in the Bible, and it's called Leviathan. More fascinating still is the similarity between fossils of prehistoric marine reptiles, seafaring reptiles, and another monster described in the Bible, and here's the way it's described, Leviathan, that wriggling, twisting dragon. And it's mentioned in the Old Testament four times. You know, I love my Bible. My Bible takes care of every major issue in life. And you don't have to commit intellectual suicide to believe it. Are you all there? Because the Bible talks about a wriggling, twisting dragon four times. Leviathan is described in detail in Job. Boy, Job had seen them all. The oldest book in the Bible, this guy not only, not only went through fiery ovens of trial, but he also saw dinosaur-like creatures. He describes in, uh, is described in Job 41 as a creature of immense strength. In the Hebrew text, listen to this description. He has terrifying teeth, scales like rows of shields, closely fastened together and hard as stone. Scales. Listen. He's a resident of the sea, knowing no fear and apparently immune to all of man's weaponry. Listen to Job's description of this seafaring dinosaur. So the Bible covers two kinds, land-dwelling and seafaring. Behemoth on the land, Leviathan in the sea. Now watch this. Job 41, 1 through 11. Or can you pull in the sea beast, Leviathan? Serpent is what that word means in the Hebrew. A sea monster or dragon. 
Can you pull him in? This is the message Bible, and it's poking fun, but it is funny. Can you pull Leviathan in with a fly rod and stuff him in your fish crate? Or as some of you bass fishermen would say, your live well? Is there room? No. Can you lasso him with a rope or snag him with an anchor? You can't even snag him with an anchor. Will he beg you over and over for mercy or flatter you with flowery speech? Will he apply for a job with you to run errands and serve you the rest of your life? In other words, what he's saying is, this is not a, an animal that can be domesticated. All right? Will you play with him as if he were a pet goldfish? God's poking fun at Job. Never let it be said that God doesn't have a sense of humor. He's saying to Job, you can't play with this thing like a goldfish, and you know it. Will you make him the mascot of the neighborhood children? Will you put him on display in the market and have shoppers haggle over the price? Could you shoot him full of arrows like a pincushion or drive harpoons into his huge head? You can't even harpoon him in the head. If you so much as lay a hand on him, read this with me, you won't live. Well, y'all are just, let's try it again. You won't live to tell the story. If you mess with this sea creature... If you go near him, you won't live to tell about it. All right, now, many scholars have attempted to identify this animal as a crocodile. But uh, as other experts have pointed out, there are several problems with this idea, and here's the problems. Although some crocodiles do venture in the coastal areas and swim out to sea, the deep ocean is not where you find crocodiles or alligators. It's not where you find them. They are found mainly in inland waters where they live in lakes, rivers, swamps, and estuaries, and they breed on the shores. So he's not talking about a crocodile. Therefore, they would not be described as great beasts of the sea, where the following psalm places them. Watch this. What a wildly wonderful world, God. You made it all. With wisdom at your side, you made the earth overflow with your wonderful creations. Oh, look, the deep, wide sea brimming with fish past counting, sardines and sharks and salmon. And he goes on. Ships plow those waters, and look what it says. And Leviathan, your pet dragon, romps in them. Where? The sea. You know where that was found? The Psalms. You know who wrote that psalm? David. So where is that place, the timing of the existence of this creature? Well, at least in Old Testament days. Y'all are quiet tonight. Nor are crocodiles so terrifying that nobody dares tackle them. You don't see them that way. Uh, crocs are regularly trapped and killed by native tribes with simple technology. It's not that big a deal. But we were told in the Bible, you cannot take this creature... You can't trap this creature. You can't harpoon him. You can't hurt him. Listen to Job as he continues describing Leviathan, the seafaring dinosaur. Job 41, he says, but I have more to say about Leviathan. This is God talking about him. The sea beast, his enormous bulk, his beautiful shape. Who would even dream of piercing that tough skin or putting those jaws in a bit and bridle? Now, before I read on, how many of you have ever deep sea fished in here? Now, I love deep sea fishing. I don't get 
much out of fishing in lakes, to tell you the truth. I like deep sea fishing because you never know what's going to hit that hook. It's a mystery. But I've never seen anything caught, anything brought in, or read about it that you could not pierce the skin of. No whale, no shark, none of the larger sea creatures. This one, this one, I've never seen. He says, you can't pierce that tough skin or you can't put those jaws into a bit and bridle. And who would dare knock at the door of his mouth, filled with row upon row of fierce teeth? It's not a shark, because you can pierce shark skin, easy. His pride is invincible. Nothing can make a dent in that pride. Nothing can get through that proud skin, God goes on to say. He says, impervious to weapons and impervious to weather. The thickest and toughest of hides, look what he says, impenetrable. What in the world is he describing? It's a dinosaur-like creature. That's a good example right there. Put together by... um, uh, paleontologists, so on and so forth, a little sketch of what they imagined it would look like. But that's a pretty good idea right there. Leviathan. There's a monster for you. There's something you don't want grabbing your hook when you're deep sea fishing. <laughs> you don't want it. But, uh, but folks, please stay with me now. Why does this matter? Because we're told by evolutionists that the, the last dinosaur was 65 million years ago. And here's Job and King David describing something like this. Why does it matter? Because we're not evolutionists. You can't be a believer and be an evolutionist. Or, let me put it this way, you can't be a Bible student and go with evolution. Because if you get rid of Genesis 1, throw it away, the account of creation, just get rid of it, tear it out of your Bible, you've got to get rid of a lot of the rest of your Bible. Like Romans 5 that identifies Adam and Eve over and over and over again. If you get rid of Genesis 1, you've got to tear out New Testament pages. You've got to tear out Pauline theology. You've got to tear out salvation. You've got to get rid of Jesus because Jesus talked about Adam and Eve. So if you get rid of Genesis 1, you've got to get rid of salvation. So why is it important that we believe the account of the Bible about creation? Because Jesus did, because the rest of the Bible stands on it, quotes it, believed it, taught it. And if you get rid of Genesis 1, there is no Adam, there is no Eve, there is no Messiah, there is no salvation, there is no cross, there is no sin. Let's go home and watch reruns of I Love Lucy it doesn't matter anymore. Are you all with me now? If you get rid of Genesis 1, how can you say you believe the rest of it? So I'm wanting to establish with, with, with you, as God has established it in my own heart, that Genesis 1 is absolutely a, a historical account of the way the world evolved. And there is an answer to the dilemma of dinosaurs. So clearly the Bible describes dinosaur-like creatures. They were alive after the creation of man, per the testimony of Job 
and the testimony of King David? And many dinosaur-like creatures survive today. You know that? Now let's see, in the upper left there, you've got a Komodo dragon. And then in the bottom right, you've got roadkill. <laughs> Armadillos. But seriously, look at armadillo. Look at the Komodo dragon. Those Komodo dragons live in the Komodo Islands. They'll kill you. They'll eat you. They are very dinosaur-like. It's not like in our world there's nothing that looks like or seems like a dinosaur. There's, there's others. The manatee up there on the upper left. The duck-billed platypus. Alligators. Crocodiles. These are dinosaur-like creatures. I think the, the most obvious one is that Komodo dragon. Poisonous bite. Not venom, but nasty, poisonous. They'll eat you. Dragon-like. Uh, dinosaur-like. All right, then where, when were the dinosaurs created? We've already looked at it, but let's look at it again real quickly. What was that one there? Oh, there's T-Rex. I've been waiting to see him. Then, then when were the dinosaurs created? When did God create them? The Leviathan, the seafaring dinosaurs, were created on the fifth day. The fifth day. How do you know that? Because God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. Even the dinosaur-like birds. What were they called? Pterodactyl or pteranodon? Those flying reptiles. God created them on the fifth day. So God created the great creatures of the sea, the Bible says. The great creatures of the sea. And every living and moving thing with which the water teems. Every living and moving thing. That would include Leviathan. According to their kinds. And every wing, wing bird, according to its kind. And what did God see? He looked at Leviathan, that monster, and said, it is good. So if he can feel good about Leviathan, he can feel good about you and me. Amen? No wonder when he got to us, he said, very good. All right, now, the behemoth, the land dweller, and all of the great land dwelling dinosaurs were created on the sixth day. When, God, when all other land animals were created, listen to what the Word of God says, and God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, and what? Creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. So the land-dwelling dinosaurs were created on the sixth day. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Ooh, there's a picture. You know what that is? That's the eye of a Komodo dragon. How would you like to be camping out <laughs> and have that, wake up and have that looking at, uh, in your tent, huh? That's the, the eye of the Komodo dragon. They're around today, so I wanted to show you that. But now, why did the dinosaurs suddenly disappear, you ask? Because that's what we were told over and over again. And you know what? That's true. The vast bulk of them suddenly disappeared some people believe that a cataclysmic meteorite shower wiped them out that is right now a very dominant theory and a majority of paleontologists believe that a huge volcanic eruption buried the dinosaurs in mountains of ash that's what i was taught as a kid that it was a volcanic eruption and they were all buried and died suddenly because they couldn't breathe but that's not what the bible says 
For most creationists, the extinction of the dinosaurs, as well as other extinctions, is not a mystery. In fact, the extinction of the dinosaurs and many other creatures has an easy answer. They simply died in the Genesis flood. I saw a little cartoon today and showed a group of dinosaurs looking at Noah's Ark, and it was already loaded up. And one of the dinosaurs says to the other one, Was that today? In other words, it was already sailing and it was too late. Now, they died in the Genesis flood. And, and archaeology will fully support this. Except those dinosaurs that were likely taken on the ark, which probably died soon after the flood. Probably died soon after the flood because there wasn't enough vegetation to feed them. And the atmosphere was completely different after the flood. So they died out. But were junior brontosauruses taken out of the ark? Believe so. Junior triceratops? Believe so. By patience, the snail reached the ark. They were all there. Everything. Now, look at what Genesis tells us. Genesis 7, 21 says, And all flesh that moved on the earth, did what? Say it with me. Perish. How much flesh? All flesh. Dinosaurs have flesh? They perished. Birds and cattle and beasts and every swarming thing that swarms upon the earth and all mankind of all that was on the dry land. Are dinosaurs on the dry land? All in whose nostrils was the breath of the Spirit of life died. All flesh that wasn't on the ark, that depended on oxygen to live, died. We get that now? Everything died. Everything. Now, if you were a seafaring creature, you could live during Noah's flood. But everything that needed oxygen died everything. Dinosaurs are often found. Now this is where archaeology comes in and I don't know why. Well, I do know why. I'll talk about it at the end of this message. Why so many scientists won't look at this or just admit it. But dinosaurs are often found in large bone beds or dinosaur graveyards where many dinosaur bones are packed together. This provides evidence for at least catastrophic local floods. Think about it, it began to rain and it didn't stop till the, the water had reached the highest mountain. If you were a creature that was uh, swift and, and quick and lithe and nimble, you could have climbed to the top of a mountain, but there it would have found you because it covered the mountaintops. So the brontosaurus, you know, he's done. He can't move very well. They all died. A few of these bone beds contain thousands of dinosaurs and indicate catastrophic action or events. Probably the largest bone bed in the world is located in the north central Montana, USA. An estimated 10,000 duckbill dinosaurs are entombed in a thin layer measuring several miles. Now watch this. The bones are separated at the joints and they're facing east-west. They're all facing east-west. 
However, a few bones were standing upright, indicating a water flow and debris. Why were they all facing east-west? Because that's where that water was flowing. And they all died, drowned. In other words, they drowned in fast-moving water. There's a picture of a dinosaur uh, skeleton that uh, archaeologists had dug up and they're putting together and uh, saving, and I think that is so cool. But look, they, they all drowned in Noah's flood. There are many other dinosaur graveyards in western North America, practically all, if not all, indicating catastrophic burial by water or a clay water mix, not ash. Not ash, and certainly not a uh, comets hitting the earth because they would have pulverized them and they would not have been saved in fossil form. They drowned. Dinosaur graveyards are not found just in the western United States, but they are found worldwide. Now, ladies and gentlemen, please understand the Bible says the entire globe was covered in water. Why was it covered in water? Why did God do that? He said in Genesis, because the imagination of man was only evil from his youth up continually, 24-7. Man was evil. And God finally said, can't do it anymore. I'm going to wipe most life out. And he only found one righteous man on the planet and saved him. Everybody else went underwater. Say, well, that's not very fair. Golly. Well, God's a God of holiness. And you know what? You don't argue with God. You just get right with him. Now here's the summary. Wherever dinosaur bones are unearthed, the evidence predominantly suggests catastrophic entombment by water, sometimes by clearly uh, marine water. Just the burial and fossilization of such massive hulks as the large dinosaurs indicates catastrophic action as in a mammoth flood because they all suddenly disappeared. They ceased to be for the most part. Everybody with me? So when God says, I'm going to judge the world, you don't take it lightly. God says, I'm never going to judge it by a flood again, but I am going to judge it. And I'm going to tell you, folks, our world right now is exceedingly evil. You name a nation, it's exceedingly evil. Is God going to judge it as surely as you're sitting in that chair? Look at what happened in Noah's day. He said for 110 years or so, Noah was building that ark, giant thing. But when the day came, it came. And not one living creature that breathed oxygen lived but what was taken on the ark. When God says, I'm going to wipe the world out, when I'm going to judge the world, and every single person and nation is going to answer for their sin, mark it down. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Then why won't science at least consider creationism? Let's close with this. A recent article in Whistleblower Magazine which is a good magazine, I like it, but now watch this, provides at least part of the answer for why science, you can look at this and say, well, obviously they died in a flood, there's all kinds of archaeological evidence that there was a worldwide flood, why won't they at least say, well, that's what the Bible says, it must be right? Why can't we at least teach our children in school the creationism option? Why? Because evolution is still a theory. Why? Well, this article was entitled, hijacking science 
and it's subtitled From Global Warming to Evolution, Psychology to Sociology, Corruption Runs Deep. In the sciences, the lead sentence reads like this, quote, Top academics admit evolution is unproven and unprovable. But they say it's the only alternative to believing in a creator which they find unthinkable. Why do they find it unthinkable? Why? Here's why. I don't want to have to answer to him. It just comes down to that. I don't want to have to answer to him. Jesus put it another way. Light came into the world, and men love their darkness more than the light. And so they hate the light, and they won't come to the light, lest their deeds be exposed that they are evil. And so evolution has become a religion based on blind faith with no provable facts, no transitional forms. They're not there. And they won't let go of it because a lot of them are making their living off of it. They teach it. They, they get uh, 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 money grants from the government for it. Their living is made off of it. But deeper than that, the antipathy, the anger, the hostility towards creationism is way deeper. And it is, I'm angry at God. I don't want to acknowledge God. I don't want to give up my sin. don't want to give up my darkness. I'm not going to do it. And evolution provides a religion for atheists. But it's not true. There are good scientists and there are bad as in all professions because flawed, sometimes uh, biased men and women are scientists. The door is open for their bias to find its way into their conclusions. I guarantee you that's what's going to come out about global warming. And it already is. That's science with bias. Evolution. To this day, evolution has not been proven. Numerous incidents of attempts to validate evolution through hoaxes and lies have been exposed through the years, and still they won't give it up. Yet still it's forced upon us and our children in school as fact, when it's not a fact at all. Perhaps the best explanation of all for man's refusal to acknowledge a creator as the primary cause for all things, it's found in Romans 1, and I believe this is the reason right here. They know the truth about God. Because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was what everyone created, not evolved, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities. It's obvious. His eternal power and his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. Ooh. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and they became confused. Claiming to be wise, they became utter fools and evolution made monkeys out of them. But I'm going to show you next week. Don't miss next week. God's crowning creation, mankind. Because God did not make you a monkey. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, you ain't no monkey. <laughs> All right. Now, look what it says. And let's, we'll wrap up with this. 
It says, instead of worshiping the glorious everlasting God or ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people. Now look at the descent here, and then we're going to close. Look at this now. Look. Their idols began looking like people, then birds, then animals, then reptiles. People are the highest form of creation. Birds soar in the air. Animals lope around on the ground. Reptiles slither. Notice how their idolatry descended until finally they're worshiping even insects. Next time. Man, the crown of God's creation. Let's stand up. How many of you were helped by this tonight? Did that minister to you? Thank God. So you have nothing to worry about, creationist, Bible believer. Stand tall. It makes the most sense. Amen? Father, we thank you right now for your blessing on the Word of God. And thank you, Lord, that your Word is true. And let every man be a liar. Thank you, Lord, that you spoke and it was created. Thank you, Lord God, for the truth about the flood, the truth about creation and the fall, the truth about our history. We thank you for it in the mighty name of Jesus and turn, Lord, this country back to the word. We pray in his name. Let's sing one stanza. Go ahead and lead us, Joe. Let's just bless the Lord who lives forever. God is so good. Yes, Lord. God is so good. He's so good to me. Now let's lift and sing, I love him now, or I love you now. I love you now. Yes, Lord, we worship you. I love you now. I love you now. You're so good to me. Well, give him a hand of praise and you are dismissed. We'll see you Sunday, 9 and 11. God bless.